Hi, I'm Shereen Patek, and you're listening to Making Marketing by Digiday. Every week, I talk to executives who are changing the marketing playbook for the industry one decision at a time. And we're taking a bit of an about turn this week. For the last few weeks, I've had a host of founders and execs from some of the industry's coolest startup brands. Today, we go the other way to a company that's been around since 1868, when MetLife first opened for business. My guest today is Hugh Deneen, U.S. CMO at MetLife. Hi, Hugh. Welcome to Making Marketing. Good morning. Good morning. It's great to have you. You too. It is funny because I have had sort of the last few weeks companies that have just been around for like two months, six months, eight months. And today I love that we went really the other way. Established, legacy, heritage, lots of history. Um, so I'm excited to talk about that with you. Me too. I've always loved dusty old equities that, that, that need a fresh start. <laughs> exactly. And that, I think, I, I do think sort of you guys are in such an interesting kind of point. And I think this is true for many, many companies who, again, have been around for a long time, have a rich history, sort of lots of trust that you've built up over years. Um, but also sort of at a time when marketing is changing, at a time that consumers are sort of changing the way they think. Um, I'd love to start with just kind of how you, you know, position a company like yours at this time. Sure. You know, almost going back to where we started, you know, for me, working for a company like MetLife is about the purpose of the company. And if you think about, you know, 150 years ago, MetLife was actually founded uh, in trying to provide benefits for those who needed them the most. Workers who were in danger on a factory floor. Mm. And we actually were one of the first to go person to person selling employee benefits to those people. So for me, you know, working for a company like MetLife, having the heritage that it does and the purpose that it does really moves us to how do we think about that in modern times. Mm. Uh, and when we were founded, you know, we were a vital part of our customers' lives. And for me, the challenge moving forward is how do we continue to be a really vital force in our customers' lives? How much does kind of your marketing approach or even just like your internal marketing approach really drive home that, look, we have been around for a really long time. Look, we do have the storied history because that's, you know, it's 2019. People come and start yes. working for you and they're like, well, I work, you know, for MetLife. They might not know or appreciate that. Sure. Do you drive that home Absolutely. I, I think it really is about how well you know your customer and how, how much you evolve and understand how they're changing over time. You know, companies that, that haven't survived haven't changed and haven't been open to that degree of change. You know, for us at MetLife and for me as a marketer, it's incredibly important that we understand our customer mm. and understand that they are dynamic and that they're not going to stay put and that we need to evolve and move with them. Uh, it's not about us dictating to them who we are and dictating to them who they should be. It's about us evolving and becoming more purposeful for them. What, what is that? That's super. I want to know sure. sort of what that looks like sort of in theory. Like sure. how does that, okay, somebody starts coming and working, I don't know, in the marketing department. Um, let's start with the inside and then we'll go outside. Yes. So somebody starts coming, it, uh, he or she comes and works for you. And you start saying, okay, here's how our marketing vision is. And you start explaining to them how it all works. What do you, what do you tell them? Sure. I think the, the first thing is that we've talked to almost 100,000 customers over the last few years. Mm -hmm. And that has enabled us to build a rich archive of foundational knowledge about how they're evolving and changing. And so one of the first things we would share with someone who's starting is the foundational insights of who our customers are and, and what we need to do to 
increase the degree of satisfaction they have with their lives. Mm. Uh, so we spend a lot of time grounding people on who our customers are, mm. what their needs are, uh, you know, sharing with them some of that foundational information, sharing with them some of the history of who we are as a benevolent force in the world. But your customers are, I mean, they're so varied. Yes. You don't... It, sorry, I'm going to come back to sort of, you know, talking to a startup. So we had a, a, a shoe startup last week and their customer, yes, everybody wears shoes, but this is a pretty specific type of shoe for a pretty specific type of person. So it just makes kind of their strategy just very simple for them. It's like we know who we're trying to reach. We know where they live. And because we mostly sell online, we're able to have all this data. You guys kind of different. Everybody needs almost your product and sure. you've got a whole host of different products. That starts making things complicated. Yes. How does that work out? Indeed, we have a complicated company. <laughs> At, fundamentally, though, our customers are complicated. You know, their needs are complicated and their needs are dynamic and changing. You know, so we need to have a portfolio that, that flexes and evolves with them. You know, in its most simple form, you know, what we do is provide protection. And we enable our customers to be more confident in their everyday lives. And that's a lot of what our products do for our customers. Mm -hmm. So regardless of how complicated they may seem in a moment, and indeed, <laughs> you, know, you know, one of the things that was, uh, was an observation of mine when I first started MetLife was it's much more interesting on the inside huh. than it is on the outside. <laughs> And, and Which is good because it should be sort of, you know, not too interesting on the outside. <laughs> completely. It, it also, to me, though, is a challenge for us mm. in how we make what we do more simple and more purposeful and that our customers understand how it is relevant for their lives. Yeah. And, you know, so, you know, one specific way we've done that, you know, within employee benefits is really getting the insight that, you know, originally there was a thought that when someone signed up for benefits, it was all about a life stage. You know, you had a baby. You got married, God forbid you got divorced. You had a, a life event that would, would encourage you to, to just sign up for benefits. It would just happen like magic. And through our insights work, we realized that there actually needed to be an additional stimulus. And for us, we call it the conversation. And if someone had a conversation around a life event from a colleague, from an HR professional, from a family member, you know, if someone just had a baby and if someone said to them, wow, you know, you really should think about life insurance. Or if someone was uh, starting a job and they, and they mentioned to them, you really should sign up for additional disability and help them to understand what that was and how relevant it was for them. Mm -hmm. It made a massive difference. So one of the things that we now have been trying to do with our customers is help inspire that conversation so that that, that catalyst moment would happen and they ultimately would, would do the right thing for themselves. And to me, that, that's about the changing world of marketing, hmm. where, where yesterday it would be about broadcasting uh, a message and almost hitting them over the head with a message. Now it's about how do we, we inspire or stimulate a conversation that would really create a behavior change. That's interesting because I think there has been so much, and I'm sure you know about this, conversation about, oh, like advertising is kind of just by its nature, you know, interruptive. It's going to be really hard. And no matter what you do, no matter how much sort of how good you are at advertising, people will always recognize ads for what they are. And so then is there like a new place for brands to play when it comes to marketing? And it sounds a little bit like what you're saying. It's not just about you buy a big TV buy and then you just hope that when the time comes, they'll remember that they saw an ad and so that it'll, it'll sort of come to them and it'll be awareness and then we'll go from there. It's sort of really being part of their lives. How does that change how 
you sort of, you know, spend your marketing money? Does that change how you sort of think of different channels? Completely. And um, I have a heretical view when it comes to this. I'm almost tired of talking about advertising. You know, because advertising implies a one-way conversation. Advertising implies that we're, again, hitting our customer over the head with a message. You know, what we are moving towards is how do we start a conversation? How do we stimulate our customer to think in a certain way, to even engage them so that they seek new information and that they're informed? You know, a little bit of how, you know, you and I even started our Mm -hmm. pre-conversation before we, we went live was this whole piece of influencer marketing. And being sort of a, a change element, sure. and it's part of the future of marketing that's so different than the world of advertising. You know, I'm sick of going to conferences where it's all about advertising. Completely. Because, frankly, it's a small part of what I think best-in-class marketers actually do. Mm-hmm. And very often today, I find a lot of advertising lacks insight. Right. And advertising has kind of become this, like, dirty word because yes. of it. Because people sort of... By nature, both from a consumer perspective and, I think, a marketer perspective, it's just not really what you do anymore. Absolutely. So do you not consider, I'm glad you brought up influencers because I think regular listeners of this podcast know how obsessed I am with influencer marketing. (laughs) I am fascinated by how that channel itself has changed. And and I want to talk a little bit about, you know, how you think of sort of influencer marketing, how you even define it. And again, what results and if it has been good for you. But before that... You know, I remember a few years ago, we, we did a story. I, I, I talked to an anonymous um, agency plus brand person for a, a piece in our confession series. That was This was when influencer marketing was just starting. And, you know, his entire point of view was like, at the time, he's like, nobody knows what they're doing. And he's like, that's great, right? For At that time, it was great for someone like him because when nobody knows what they're doing, chaos breeds a lot of opportunity. Absolutely. And he's like, the brands don't know what to pay. Brands don't even know what to, what they're going to get in exchange for what they're going to pay. So there's just like money flying around, going straight into sort of Instagram influencer pockets, but they have no idea what to do with it. Fast forward, I feel like a lot's changed. Um, how has kind of influencer marketing kind of evolved to be a real, because you're talking about it like a real marketing discipline Absolutely. now. How has that happened? I think, I think it's part of a mix. It's part of how you have a conversation with a customer to help them move on their their purchase journey or their their ongoing customer journey with you as a company. Mm-hmm. It, and it's not a standalone element. You know, so gone are the days where where a big TV buy is all you need. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of the things that that I'm most inspired by too is the the overall changing world of marketing completely. You know, if you if you f- if you flash back 10 years ago, the best cl- in class marketers were all CPG. You know, they were the PNGs, the J&Js, the Unilevers of the world, the, the American Expresses of the world, who really had such a clear discipline of understanding customers and applying a formula of how they'd go to market that was mm-hmm. about traditional use of media. And then you had, at the same time, an emerging class of digital marketers who were growing up very independently of those CPG marketers, almost uh, completely independently. And they're growing up in in startup uh, digital companies. They were growing up in some of even the the financial services companies. And they became more expert at applying digital. Mm. In some cases, very strategically. In some cases, much like you've described, in in a bit of chaos. Yeah. Why did that happen? I feel like that that is a really interesting way to put it, and I haven't heard it being said like that before, that you did have this, like, group of people that were known as the marketing 
the marketers. And then these startups came and they were just, were they doing marketing, quote unquote, differently? What were they doing that was different? You know, so let me take that in two parts. I, I think the first thing was that they were trying to survive, you know, because you think about a lot of these companies, they, they were trying to do what they couldn't afford mainstream marketing in a lot of ways. You know, they couldn't afford, uh, you know, the, the big TV buys that were happening at the time. And so they were being nimble and they were trying new things and they were uh, going out there and, and challenging the status quo while I think a lot of CBG was standing still. And their business model was was static, and it was still dependent on an old world. And yeah. and the chaos of this new world has created, I think, a monumental shift in marketing, yeah. where neither of these marketers that previously existed, you know, the old CPG marketer or the the new digital marketer, could survive independently. You know, so the future to me is is bringing these two together. Yeah. You know, this is where you have the the headiness and the strategic thinking of an old CPG marketer, yeah. uh, together with the digital native, the digital first thinking of of a, of a new marketer. Yeah. And you know, on my journey uh, thus far, I found that the combination of those two is incredibly rare. And so, a lot of the phenomenon that you've mentioned in terms of this sort of headless foray into influencer marketer was born. Mm-hmm. You know, the people are just desperate to try something new and they're they're almost moving to the shiny object without taking a step back and saying, what am I really trying to do? Uh, and how am I going to pilot something new and pilot it in several different ways so that I, I get a broad sense of, of what it might do for my business. And then I begin to dynamically integrate mm-hmm. it into what is the new mix. Yeah. And for me, a lot of how we use influencer marketing is part of our dynamic mix. And it's, it's, it's not a standalone element. It, it's a contributing factor that we track via social tracking or otherwise to see how it works and how, how it moves us forward. Give us an example of kind of an influencer campaign that you've done. Because I think you're, you're also in such an interesting category because I think, again, there's a sort of, oh, influencer marketing, oh, it's probably going to be, I don't know, some like ice cream brand using it. But sure. it, the fact that it can, and it seems like it works, you know, for a category that's, you know, serious. Sure. It's, it's not, it's not sure. something you just kind of come up and decide to get into or become a customer of just off off the cuff. Um, give me an example of an influencer campaign or an influencer experiment that you've done that you really, you know, were heartened by. Sure. You know, if, if we go back to one of the examples I started with, this whole notion of the need for employee benefits and how this stimulating this conversation is so incredibly important. Uh, one of the insights that, that came out of that was if you could stimulate a conversation in a mass way, through influencer marketing, we, we actually thought we could be much more successful. So we partnered with a number of influencers on Instagram and on Facebook who had a, had a fairly large following of 10,000 or more. Okay. And who... Not huge, though. That's not interesting. Not huge. That's like in that middle space yes. of not yes. being one of those like million plus people, but also not... What were they called? Nano influencers? Yes. The ones with like 200 followers? Which is about, Not the Kardashians. Which is what I, you know, I yes. have like 200 followers. At that point, I was like, can I be an influencer? You could be. You could be. <laughs> so you went for the middle. We went for the middle. And very deliberately, who had had a life event and who had learned from a moment and who had a very credible story to tell. So it wasn't about using their fame hmm. to get our brand name out there. It was about their story. 
and it was about how their story could help stimulate a conversation mm. around benefits that we knew would enable our customers to engage more in benefits. How did you work? I'm fascinated by how how you know brands like yours like can work with these influencers too. Because again, I think that's been a sea change. It used to be. Sure. I mean, people tried so many things in the early days, right? First, they were like, "You'll just do whatever you like, and then hope that the brand like MetLife just put it in there someplace." And then they were like, "Wait, this might not be a good idea. People, maybe there's brand safety. I don't know." Then people went the other way. It's like, no, we'll tell you exactly what to do, and they almost treated influencers like just like a media channel right. versus. Really spokesperson. Kind of, right, exactly. Right. Versus more of a creative partner. Where's that shaking out, you know, especially if you've as you've seen, like how do you work with these people? And I don't think it's shaken out yet. Okay. I still think, you know, it's still a dynamic and evolving space. And I think it is a lot of of, of how you've described it. That there are some where it's very formulaic who actually have a path and, and they want to have a script for how they operate. And there are others that need for it to be more organic. And frankly, there's room for both. They both work, uh, or both can work. Hmm. And, and so we've dabbled in both. Nice. And what we generally do is around that right time of year, around the moment when people are most engaged in employee benefits, we will have outreach to, you know, we're hoping almost, you know, those that would influence up to a million collectively. Wow. But each having 10,000 or 20,000 hmm. each uh, to create, topics that trend, you know, around benefits, at least among that audience. Uh, And, you know, for us, having that flexibility of not having a one-size-fits-all has been instrumental. Yeah. Try try different things with every different relationship. And I think that that's actually one of the keys, is, is that the formula, the idea of formulaic marketing is dead. You know, marketing is living and breathing and needs to be dynamic and changing. You know, one of the things, you know, I say to my team all the time is that, uh, you know, if, if you are looking for a world where you have a static brand management experience, you're in the wrong industry now or you're in the wrong field. Those days are over. It's now about how do we evolve nimbly and move towards where the opportunity is with a flexible set of skills that enable smart, insight-driven, analytical marketers to have impact. I want to talk about that idea of formulaic marketing, because I think you talked earlier about performance-oriented startup brands who really were focused on digital. And and there was, look, there was a formula to a lot of their success, right? And the formula was, it's again, I think it's changing now for a variety of reasons, but the formula is pretty clear. You have a great product and that was always the case and they really work hard on their products but when it came to the marketing of it it was okay you probably really facebook ads mm-hmm. some instagram ads sure go back to the facebook ads um and then that's kind of it and then you know as long as you have a decent product and you do a really good job at like the ux on the site make sure that things are getting to people in a couple of days and all these shipping and logistics things that people expect now the marketing felt pretty formulaic and sure. now i'm curious about what you think of like the pendulum swinging because as Facebook's gotten more expensive for these brands, you know, to your point, they were kind of just hoping to survive at a certain point. What happens to kind of, you know, the startup brand versus the legacy brand kind of conversation? Because it does feel like everyone's, to your point earlier, is coalescing towards the middle. The CPG giants are trying to become like startups. The startups are, try- are growing up and realizing they can't just rely on Facebook, not be formulaic. They have to start doing more brand marketing. They have to do more awareness. Where does that kind of end up? 
Really good question. And I don't think it's ended yet. I, I think it's still a decade away from ending. I think we're, we're in the decade of dynamic change. You know, a couple of things. I think when this most of the money came into digital marketing, it came in from CBG companies. And a lot of what they were doing was driving impressions, mm. you know, which were about building a brand, but not about driving someone to purchase. Well, it wasn't lower funnel It wasn't lower funnel work. Where I truly believe the breakthrough has come in digital marketing is from companies that are actually driving people fully through the funnel end to end Mm. and their lifeblood depends on them doing it. Mm. You know, so another heretical point of view is that I don't think CBG will ever be brilliant at digital marketing because they're not dependent on it. You know, so when you look at other industries like some of the startups Literally, their daily spend programmatically would determine their degree of sales. So it wasn't about impressions. It actually was linked all the way through to, as you said, lower funnel. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, it was that degree of hunger that made them change and evolve and iterate Mm -hmm. much more than they ever had before. Uh, and I view even some of what we're doing now in in financial services and insurance as it, we're dependent on hmm. digital. Give me, so, give me an example of how that sort of like plays out for you in a, sure. in a strategic kind of sure. marketing endeavor. You know, if you think about, you know, our auto and home insurance hmm. and how we have a, a material uh, outreach in digital channels, if my daily digital spend is not effective the amount of money I'm spending on a call center that actually receives a request from it from my digital spend will be significantly off. Hmm. So, and let me compare that to my former world where, where if I was off on a daily basis, it would mean my impressions would move to the next day, but it wasn't the lifeblood, yeah. you know? So literally we track in some cases our digital impact by the hour and then by the day Wow. So we get it because it, it, it is the lifeblood of, of whether we actually get leads generated digitally that come into our call center that then we need to price quote. Right. And if we're off, if we've either understaffed or overstaffed the, the call center, it's, it's of material impact to us financially. So it's, it's accountability to a really high degree. Completely. Which, again, wasn't really. I mean, th- there was that old joke, I don't remember, I don't know if you know it, but, well, you know, a marketer's never going to get fired for buying, like, a TV ad. It's right. never going to happen. There's certain things that you could just do. Absolutely. And everyone would say, like, oh, don't worry, it'll it'll work. Like, this is where I spent the money on. It was on, you know, sponsorship for X, which you couldn't really tell if it was working. You couldn't also not tell it wasn't working. Right. And got my double negatives mixed up there. Um but also, you couldn't really be fired for it. Right. It was just, it was sort of this old marketing axiom, I guess. And exactly. things seem, at least sound, like that's, that's, that's pretty different tr- what you just said. That's pretty different. Uh, which is, from my perspective, where I see the future changing. Mm. You know, so I think the past was those two things almost independently. You know, you had the CPG uh, players who were placing very large ad buys across multiple mediums, including digital, uh, and largely accountable for brand metrics. Yeah. Sometimes accountable for, for some degree of sales influence, but it was over a long period of time. Mm. It wasn't dynamic. And then you had that other world of much more dynamic, uh, you know, coming from some of those digital entities that literally were tracking performance by the, by the day or by the hour in, in many cases, and never, never would those two meet. Mm. 
absolutely. A- and the future is really has to be about doing both of those well. That's interesting because when you, it's also when you say digital too, it's like, I mean, these days, you know, Facebook is as scaled a, a play. It's and I think like we've TV. seen with P&G, right, sure. when they've changed how they've, um, how they sort of use Facebook and how, how they use those channels. Is, it's not even like digital anymore. It's just like Facebook is, is TV to yes. your point. Um, yes. I'm curious about what you think about sort of, you know, emerging platforms and what as a sort of just as a marketer you're curious about or interested in when it comes to some of the newer players. Like I'd love like is TikTok part of your, I don't know, on even on your sort of vision plan? Sure. I mean, we, we look broadly and, and we're always in a test and learn mode. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that's another part of, of the future of marketing is being much more test and learn focused than it ever had been before. You know, we're relentlessly piloting. You know, so I, I would even think we've had over 100 pilots this year, mm. you know, doing different uh, marketing tactics that we measure within a short period of time. Uh, in some cases, we have better metrics than others, but they're all, you know, some some degree of leading indicator for how we perform. So we're, we're in relentless pursuit of, of something that'll be higher impact and always assuming that the mix that we had yesterday is wrong. <laughs> That's yeah. a great way to go about it. Whatever we did yesterday. It's wrong, right? <laughs> so we, we know it needs to change. And to me, that's that gets back to one of the questions you've asked earlier, which is how does a 150-year-old company, you know, stay in the game? And this is this it's the same thing in terms of how you think about marketing. Our customer is dynamic, mm. and so must we be. It's the same thing within within marketing, that we need to always believe that what we did yesterday is not good enough. Yeah. How do you um how do you differentiate from your from your competition? Because you're sort of, again, in such an interesting space because you've obviously got other also old, also legacy, also sort of heritage brands. Um, you've also got startups kind of, you know, trying little bits, trying little things here and there to your point, yes. sort of startups who are, they're in it for survival. So they're, you know, yes, really approaching hunting. things differently. Um, how do you think of sort of differentiation for the brand um, sure. in your role as CMO? Sure. Uh, I think at the end of the day, you know, what we believe and, and what, we, what has stood the test of time with MetLife is we differentiate in our understanding and knowledge of our customer and being as close to our customer as possible. You know, starting out with, you know, we had representatives who would uh, drive, would ride their bike to the factory floor when we were founded. And now it's through digital. You know, un- our understanding and unique insights into our customer will always be one of our most important differentiators. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I see that, you know, today. You know, we- we've retained, uh, in some cases, customer relationships within our employee benefits world for over 100 years. You know, and you don't do that on price, right? You don't do that on novelty, right? You do that by being dynamically changing with with the changing customers, and and always demonstrating that degree of value. You know, so for me, the foundation, you know, goes back to, you know, we've talked to a hundred thousand customers, and and we're talking to more every day, mm-hmm. uh, and and that helps us to continue to be a differentiated brand and company. Absolutely. And that's all for today's episode of Making Marketing. Thank you so much, Hugh, for being on the show. Thank you very much. This was fun. This was excellent. And thank you, of course, for listening. Our producer is Pierre BNMA. If you like the show, here's what you do. Head to your iTunes store, search for a show, Making Marketing. Leave us a review, hopefully five stars, and obviously a rating. It helps new listeners find us. I'll read my favorite reviews here at the end of the show. Tweet at me at hashtag Making Marketing. Thanks again for listening. 